Okay, so here we are at the cusp of 2019, 2019. All the promises, all the potential, all the possibilities of the year waiting for us, just waiting for you to grab. It's within our grasp. And all of the things we'd hoped for, we'd prayed for, we'd dreamed of are about to come real. Yes? Wow. (laughs) Without sounding too cynical, and I, I feel like most of you are with me on this, I'm fairly sure we heard the same talk last year. And I don't know about you, but last year was, abs- or this year, was absolutely crap for me. And it was terrible. And, uh, you know, the last thing I felt like I wanted to do today was another motivational talk to go, yay, it's going to be amazing. When I just don't know if I want to go through the same year. You know, personal stuff aside, um, it has been an emotional and trying year for us as a church. Uh, we lost staff such as Dennis, Uncle Den, uh, Carol. We lost two consecutive office assistants who, for personal reasons, they just decided they needed to do something else. Um, and then Chris and Fliss kind of lost them, haven't we? I mean, they've been here every week and preaching. But, um, but at one point, our succession prayers uh, were along the lines of, help. And that was pretty much the extent of them. I remember a meeting uh, in one of those rooms. We have staff meetings every week where it was me, Sam, Jill, and Kev. And uh, I think Chris and Fliss were away on holiday. And, um, and, and we, I remember sitting there looking at these guys in the eyes going, okay, lots have changed. But as long as we stay together, as long as we stick together, as long as we are here and faithful and strong, then nothing can stop us. Nothing can stop us. And then several weeks afterwards, Kev resigned. <laughs> and he's gone on to do amazing things and bless him for it, really. But at the time, I wasn't so gracious about it, I've got to be honest. I was like, oh my gosh, can we really handle anything else? What is God doing amongst us? I really just don't understand. You know, we were incredibly sustained by our leaders in this church and the church itself with a tremendous support, prophecies in, spe- in particular. I remember one in particular uh, from Tim in the church. He says this. He, 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 I remember he emailed me and said this. God says it's all okay. And I'm looking at him going, really? Uh, and he said it's more important to get the right person than meeting the right time scale. You know, amazingly, this is amazing. Amazingly, God did both. You know, we got the right person. We get it within the time scale. And next week, as Jenna just said, we are commissioning Mark Helvagin as a new senior pastor. It is good news. It really is. I feel a bit sorry for Mark, though, I've got to be honest, because every time we're, we're in there together as staff, as we're talking about what 2019, you know, what we, what we often phrase, and what I've heard so many times is, okay, this year's been tough, but do you know what? When Mark starts, dot, 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 it will be amazing. And like the first time I heard that, I was like, do you know what? I love the courage. And then the second time I heard it, I thought, wow, this is really good. Third, fourth, fifth time, I was like, oh, poor Mark. He's got a lot of expectation on him. Um, and I don't know about you, but I'm committed to, to, um, to going behind God's choice. And, and God has set him up. He's given him all the gifts, all the skills, all the talents, all the anointing that he needs for, this, uh, for leading this church. And I don't know about you, but I really want to just get behind him and make it happen. So he will need a lot of prayer, I can tell you that. But, uh, but he's, he's, I think, nervously excited about it. Um, now, I know some of you had an awesome 2018. You know, it was the year you got engaged, healed, uh, settled in a, new, in a good job. And if that was you, I'm genuinely pleased for you. I'm really excited for you. Um, and the rest of us literally survived 2018 on your hope, your stories, and your encouragement. So thank you, guys. Thank you for, uh, for just sharing that stuff with us. It's so encouraging. 
But for many of us, myself included, it was like all the promise, all the potential, all the possibilities of 2018 were replaced with disappointment, grief. Maybe you lost a family member. That job wasn't all it turned out to be. The house didn't sell. And their prayers, there's prayers you've been praying for ages, for partners, for children, for healing, or changing a situation or circumstances, still haven't been answered. And you've run out of reasons to blame Brexit. It is hard. It is really hard. So 2018 was not all you hoped it would be. But here's a question. Was it wasted? Was it a waste of a year? Was it one you just hope you never, ever see again or never, ever, ever think about? Was it a waste? You see, I believe to my very core that each and every single one of us is fearfully and wonderfully made. And you've not seen all that God has in store for you. It's the reason why we fall for that myth so often that we only use 10% of our brain. It's not true, but we love the idea of it. Why we love the idea of a motivational talk, because we know that there are unfulfilled promises and unmet potential in each and every single one of us. As Stephen Furtick so wonderfully says, if you're not dead, you're not done. God still has things in store for you. You see, 2019 may be amazing, but it may also have challenging times. But I know none of it will be wasted if you follow Jesus. And God will use all things for the good of those who love him and trust him. How do I know all this? Because of what happens after the Christmas story. Do you know what happens straight after the Christmas story? Let's have a look. So first of all, you know, we have heard over the last few weeks that Israel spent 400 years waiting for God to move, sitting in the silence of unanswered prayers. And then one day that silence was magnificently broken with a baby's cry. Hope was literally born on Christmas Day. You know, God made sure all humanity knew that this was the hope that he had promised, the future that they had been waiting for. An angel came to Mary and Joseph, the star shone for the Magi, and a heavenly host appeared to the shepherds. I mean, we're all proud of our kids. I'm super proud of my kids, but God went over and beyond to make sure that we were proud of his child and believe that they were, he was absolutely special. And there was no doubt that this child was going to make a difference. The angel Gabriel himself says to, to Mary, I think it was, the Lord God will give you his throne, give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. I mean, what promise, what potential, what possibilities. You'd expect the world to be transformed right then and right there. But instead, Herod. Herod was furious this, this new king he couldn't find, this one who threatened his every belief, Herod, who is anti-Christmas, he decides to kill every single child, every single boy under two years old. You know, things seem to go from bad to horrific, and Jesus disappears. Decades pass, joy fades Hope dissipates, and the promise, the potential, the possibilities fade to black. Now what? Is that it? Is that as good as it's going to get? Is Christmas the, the peak of our lives? Have I peaked? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Have I peaked? Have I hit that most amazing day of my life? 
Should I just get on with surviving and normality now? Should I just settle down and thank God for what he's done in the past and just accept whatever happens in the future? I mean, have you faced your midlife or even quarter-life crisis yet? You know, 30 years later, a man stands up in a small, dusty, aging synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth. He opens the scroll and begins to read these words. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to see the oppressed set free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He gathers followers. He heals the sick. He delivers people from demons. He lives a life of miracles, teaches a way that stuns all the experts, and he wields divine power like no one has ever seen before and demonstrates real justice in everything he does and sees. All that promise, all that potential, all those possibilities were finally realized and here for everyone to see. So what happened in those 30 years where he didn't seem present at all? We know he didn't appear special in that time, Because when he stood up to read in the synagogue, people's first comments were, who's that? Isn't that Joseph's son, the carpenter? They didn't have a clue who he was. You see, now none of you, just be clear, none of you are the Messiah. But many of us can identify with that statement. You know, people may compliment you, they may build you up, they may encourage you. But most of us have spent our life in someone else's shadow. Susie's friend, Ade's younger brother, Madeline's husband. Joseph's son. It's clear, but it is clear that Jesus did not waste a single moment of those 30 years. We know that whatever happened during those years carried him. They kept him faithful through temptation, rejection, adoration, betrayal, and even crucifixion. Whatever happened during those 30 years was enough to set him up for whatever life was going to hold before him. So what happened during those 30 years? And what can we learn from them? And so we can face whatever 2019 has in store, which, just so you know, probably doesn't involve crucifixion. You know, fortunately, Luke does include a little peek into those hidden years. And if you've got your Bibles, what we'll do is we'll open up onto Luke 2, straight after the Christmas story, Luke 2, verse 31 to 52. If you've got your phones, you can use those. If you haven't got a Bible, we'd love to give you one on the way out. So just hand in your Connect and Collect card and pick up a Bible. Okay. So every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of Passover. And when Jesus was just 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. The problem was, is after this festival, uh, they were all heading home in this big caravan of people. And after a day or so, Mary and Joseph suddenly realized Jesus isn't with them. They look around. I mean, that's not unusual. You travel as a family. Community doesn't have to be with them. But they suddenly realized he was nowhere to be found. And they start to panic. So they they head back to Jerusalem to find him. And they search everywhere and still can't find him. It's after three days they finally found him in the temple. After three days, they finally found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why are we searching for me? 
he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth and with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. You know, it seems to me that Jesus learned two things. Luke's insight, Luke's inclusion of this story, of all the things he could have shared, of all the things he could have told, his inclusion of this story, for me, tells me two things. And that meant none of these 30 years that Jesus uh, experienced and lived were, were wasted, but they were used in preparation for what God had called him to. And these two things were this. First and foremost, he knew the hope of the Father by growing in strength and wisdom. And secondly, he knew the Father of hope by learning how to be a son. He knew the hope of the Father, and he knew the Father of hope. Let's go. First one. He knew the hope of the Father. Luke 2, verse 40 says this. Jesus became, uh, grew strong, drew, sorry, Jesus grew and became strong and was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. And then it finishes at the end with uh, verse 52. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. You see, simply put, he grew in strength and in wisdom. Now, I'm sorry to say this, but it's that season where it would be utterly remiss of me not to mention something about being healthy. And so I'm just going to spend two minutes, okay? So if, you, if this is not where you're at, just, just tune in, it's fine. Okay, so I've been uh, doing Couch to 5K for about six months. I've had the app on my phone. The problem is I spent six months on the couch. I never quite got off the couch bit, so, so I was doing really well, just, just the next step. Until this week, I've got to say, until this week, I finally started doing it. Um, but, you know, various things started to bother me um, about being over. I mean, one of the things that I think hit me a couple of years ago was when I went to M&S, tried on a shirt that I would usually wear, and uh, came out of the change rooms thinking, oh, it's a bit snug, but I like it. And they <laughs> applauded the poor guy who was, like, giving you his honest opinion. He turned around to me and he said, mm, Sir, I, I believe that shirt is for the slimmer build. And that was where it all went downhill. <laughs> and then recently, I was in the car with uh, Maya, our youngest three-year-old. And uh, I was joking. I was saying, oh, your daddy's so fat. Your daddy's so fat. And, and bless her. She said, Daddy, you're not fat. I was like, oh, that's what I need to hear. Just lie. Thank you. And she goes, you're just, you're just a big snail. <laughs> a, a big, fat snail. <sighs> Thanks, Maya. You see, we are called to steward everything that God has given us, including our bodies. And if I can just say, this is not my preach, but if I can just say something, just do something. You know, start exercising, eat healthy, whatever it is. I'm not going to follow you up on this because I'm still getting through it. But, you know, there are many good reasons. But can I just say that guilt tripping is not one of those reasons to, to get healthy. But look at this. 1 Timothy 4.8 says this. Paul says this. For physical training is of some value. But godliness has value for all things. See, if you read that, you understand that physical exercise, diet and all that thing, it's not the main thing. But it does have some value. And if it has some value, then shouldn't you be exploring it at least better? And let me just say this. The more you do exercise, diet and all that other stuff, you will look better, you will feel better, you will think better. Okay? End of, end of that. That's as much as I've got on that. Okay. <laughs> Strength. Wisdom. Okay, I'm going to spend a bit more time on this. Um, John Piper says this. It's an amazing quote. Many people 
are not eager to understand more about God than they already understand. Many people are just content with what they know. They feel like they know enough to just get through. Why would we need to spend more time? I know that God loves me. I know he's for me. I, I know enough. Thank you. Imagine telling that to your spouse after you get married. Okay, okay, that's enough talking now. I don't need to know anything more about you. We're married now. We're good. Uh, you know, you just be good to me and I'll be good to you and we'll be fine. It just wouldn't work. I haven't tried it, just so you know. Um, how can you love a person more if you don't know anything more about them to love? How can you be in awe of someone if you stop learning about who they are and how they are and how they face different situations? And from a different perspective, I've got a friend who um, is he's incredibly funny, but he's an incredibly intelligent guy. He did astrophysics at university. He went on to get a doctorate. He's now a computational biologist. Just take a moment to get your head around that. Um, you know, he, he loves what he does. He loves learning. And I remember him saying something to me once that really changed my perspective. He said, you know, the more I know, the more I realize I don't know. The more I know, the more I realize I don't know. You know, that was just one specific area of one branch of one aspect of science which God created. You know, you will never know enough about God. All the world that he created that you'll have a reason to stop talking to him. There is always something he can teach you, always something he can impart on you and build you up with. There's always something he can give you. But it will be a little value to learn something if we do not understand what we have learned. You see, when the petrol light comes on in the car, you don't explain what it means to the passenger you don't go, well, the petrol light's on. That means we've got no petrol. This is, uh, you know, an interesting and wonderful moment. Let me just share this with you. Anyway, we'll carry on driving and just ignore it. Nor do you stop the car and wash the windows or fill up the oil. Your knowledge tells you that something is wrong. Your wisdom tells you what to do. And it also tells you if you don't do something about it, there will be a bigger problem. So, yes, read the Bible. And, yes, as James says, pray for wisdom. Ask God for it. But remember what Bill Johnson says, and I love this as well. Revelation from the Bible that doesn't lead you to a God encounter only serves to make you more religious. Revelation of the Bible that doesn't lead to a God encounter, whether that's you experiencing God or you seeing someone encounter God, if it doesn't lead to a God encounter, it will just make you more religious. Wisdom only comes from action. So how do you grow in wisdom? And Jesus showed us how he gained it. They found Jesus sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. What was Jesus talking about, I wonder? See, my guess is I reckon they discussed the promises of God and they shared the stories of how God worked amongst them. You see, everything is shaped by God's promise over us. We may not know the next paragraph of the story, but I can tell you with God's promises, you'll know the end of the chapter. Let me give you a couple of examples. You know, I had a bike accident uh, a couple of years ago now. And, um, and I remember really struggling. I'd go for a drive, and after about 10, 15, 30 minutes, I would just start to fall asleep. I just couldn't concentrate that long. And I was starting to wonder if this was starting to impact me, and I struggled to get back into the normality of life. I eventually went to see a neurosurgeon, and he, it was awesome. He, he sat me down, and he said, let me just uh, do a couple of tests with you. And I was like, oh, this is going to be tough. And he goes, count to 10. I was like, 
I can do this. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And it goes, spell this word. I don't know what it was, um, season. And I was like, I can do this. And then he says, pick this up from the floor. And then he did all these really simple tests. I was so proud of myself. I did every single one of them. <laughs> and then he said this thing to me. He said this. He said, you know, every single part of your brain is functioning. It's, it's brilliant. It's very sharp. I was like, well, thank you. He goes, but the problem is, when you had the accident, all of the connections between your brain were irreparably damaged. They were damaged for good. There was nothing you can do about that. And I was like, well, that's horrible. That's pretty depressing news. But he goes, do you know what's wonderful is that your brain has been hardwired to re, uh, re-path. You have neuroplasticity, which means your brain can learn how to think again. So your brain and the individual bits, they're fine. Now it just needs to learn how to talk to each other. And so when I go for a drive, you know, I, I knew how to drive. I knew how to look. I knew how to talk. I knew how to do this. I knew how to do that. But to do it all at the same time, I didn't have the connections. But our brains, our bodies, our lives are hardwired for growth. Every single one of us is hardwired to improve and to, to readjust. The thing that got me through that, the thing that really spoke to me and gave me the strength to focus on as I started to wonder if my life would ever be the same was this verse in the Bible in Romans 11. It says, for God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. You see, I didn't know what was going to happen, but I knew that if I looked at that verse and trusted in it and believed in it, that whatever God had gifted me with, whatever he had put in me and whatever call he had for my life were irrevocable. Nothing could take them away. And that gave me the strength to relax, de-stress, and trust that God was working on it. Second thing, dating a non-Christian. I remember uh, when I first became a Christian, I was, I was dating someone who didn't have any faith, and she was lovely. She was wonderful. She was hilarious, and we had a lot of fun together. But there was just that verse, that, that, that story in the Bible that just caught me over and over again. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart from, um, after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of his David, his, his father, had been. And I struggled with that. I was like, but it should be great. Maybe she'll come to know Jesus. Maybe I don't know. All I knew is that God had spoken to me in that and I needed to do something about it. It was so hard. And I have no idea what that relationship would have turned into. But I trusted God. What else could I do? But I can tell you now that I've been happily married this year in 2019. will be 10 years, which for me is a lot. Um, 10 years, <laughs> 10 years of marriage to a woman that I would not be the man I am if not for her. And I thank God for that. And talking about marriage, you know, we at some point decided to try for kids. And it was at that point that Tara just kind of dropped a bombshell and said, well, actually, because of her hypothyroidism and various operations, there's there's a huge chance that she would never be able to have kids. I didn't know that to begin with. But it hit me because my entire life, from a young age, I was like, well, I'm really excited about having kids. I'm not too keen on the marriage thing, but really excited about having kids. And so for this to hit me was hard. And I suddenly, I I went out one morning, I remember this, and I went for a walk around the park, and and I sat down on the bench, and I was so fragile. And I remember God saying to me, or reminding me of this verse, the Lord brings death. And makes alive. He brings, he makes, um, so he brings life and takes it away. And I was like, what? That's horrible. But I held on to that verse and I said, God, you, you can take away, but you can give. I'm going to trust in you in this. I literally sobbed. 
sobbed so, I mean, it was really awkward when people were walking past and I was sitting on this bench, like, had my bag for my Bible. I looked completely lost and homeless and I was just sobbing my eyes out. But I surrendered in that moment. I said, God, okay, you're God. You decide. You know, we, uh, we actually fell pregnant shortly after that and then we had a miscarriage. And then we fell pregnant again. And uh, within a couple of weeks, I think it was, Tara was rushed into hospital with pains and various other things. And the nurses, uh, they examined her and they said, look, I'm really sorry, but it looks ectopic, which means it got stuck in the tubes. Um, and uh, we may have to operate, which actually halves your chance of pregnancy. So we just spent the whole night praying. And the next morning, you know, pain had gone, and they said, we'll do a scan just to make sure. And they scanned, they were like, oh, we can't find it. And then they scanned the woman and was like, oh, look, there it is. It's perfectly fine. And then a the couple of weeks after that, there was a time in a few weeks. Um, a couple of weeks after that, uh, again, Tara had uh, some, some bleeding. And, and we called the hospital and they said, look, I'm really sorry, but it sounds like you've had a miscarriage. We had a scan booked that Friday and we said, well, okay, we'll go. And I remember on the way saying to Tara, I'm hoping for the best, but I'm genuinely expecting the worst. And so we went, car, got there, they scanned, couldn't find anything. They scanned the other side. Oh, there it is. You're fine. I was like, come on. And then, and then about 12 weeks, um, we, uh, we were rushed into hospital again. And uh, they examined Tara and they said, look, I'm really sorry, but this is what we call an inevitable miscarriage. You will pass this baby in a few hours at most. Um, I'm really sorry, but it just happens. It's science's way of saying, no, your body can't handle it. And so by this point, we had learned. We just told the nurse to go away and so we could pray. <laughs> and so we, uh, we were put in the room until something happened, and we prayed, and we prayed, and then we fell asleep, actually. Um, and then the next morning, nothing had happened. So we went in for a scan. Do you know what happened? There they found it. Again, everything was fine. They didn't even understand what had happened. You know, our daughter, Bella, is six years old now. And she was shortly followed by a five-year-old and a three-year-old. God really held us. It was amazing. But do you know what I didn't understand? Because I didn't have the wisdom at the time. Do you know what I didn't understand? Is that verse that I quoted, that's actually from 1 Samuel 2.6. And do you know what it's in context of? It's in context of Hannah, who was barren, who then had a child, Samuel, and then was praising God, and that was part of our prayer. If I had just paused for a moment and gone to the scripture, that would have been a promise that would have carried me so much stronger through that. You see, how do we handle tough situations or season? I have many more stories, by the way, but I haven't got time. Um, how do you handle tough situations or season if you don't know what God's promises being spoken over you in that time? Or if you, learned, you haven't learned the wisdom to lean in? They found Jesus sitting amongst the teachers, listening to him, asking them questions. You see, I think Jesus gave up all his omniscience, all his understanding, and he became wholly dependent on God's revelation. But having set his whole life to gain wisdom and understanding, he made no embellishment and therefore had no uncertainties um, in what was revealed to him. He didn't exaggerate on the promises. He just held true to them and fast them. If that was Jesus, how much more do we need to set our understanding to gain wisdom? Who, where are you sitting with people? Where are you listening? Where are you asking questions? We have the Alpha Course. If you're new to this whole faith, Alpha Course starts at the end of January. Great place to start. If you've done that, join a connect group. Start a connect group if, you're, if it's good. You know, grab some people around you and, and just provide a place where you can li sit, listen, ask questions. 
Some of my best revelations have come from sitting in this connect group and someone just saying something or asking a question, and it just blows my mind with understanding. Let me just build on this one more thing. Stories of God's activity also reveal who God is. They're an invitation to intimacy with God in that area of life. So when we don't share our stories, or we don't invite people into these stories so that they're not just listening to them, but they're part of them, then his testimony um, is not shared with others. And therefore, that aspect of God that people need to hear goes un- unspoken, goes unknown. We need to share these stories. And without stories, we forget what God's like, and we lose hope when, that, when we're facing that battle. There's this great verse in... Um, and Psalm 78, let me just read this to you. The men of Ephraim, though armed with bows, turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant and refused to live by his law. They forgot what God had done, the wonders that he had shown them. Simply put, these guys faced this battle. They were armed. They were ready. They faced this battle, but they gave up. Why? Because they did not keep God's covenant. Why did they not keep God's covenant? Because they forgot what he had done. Because they forgot the stories of God, they didn't trust him. Because they didn't trust him, they gave up. You're going to face battles in 2019 that God has equipped you for, he's prepared you for. You are more than capable of defeating those battles. But if you don't know that, if you don't know God and his stories and his goodness, you will turn away. You will give up. You will just think, oh, there's no way I can do this. And you will miss out on a huge opportunity in 2019. So don't be like the men of Ephraim. Jesus knew the hope of the Father by growing in strength and wisdom. No good or bad thing that happens this year will be wasted if we seek out and walk in those promises of God and remember and share those stories of God at work. That's my first point. My second point, he knew the Father of hope by learning how to be a son. See, Jesus didn't just grow in the hope of the Father. He knew the Father of hope. Verse 42 says this, and when he was 12 years old, they went up there according to the custom. When he, see, when he, when he was 12 years old, that means he was becoming 13. See, what happens at 13 is you, um, you are learning, you are preparing to take on all the responsibilities of an adult, social, economical, religious, religious duties. You are going to become an adult at that time. So at 13 years old, they will go through a ceremony in Jewish times uh, well, which he formally takes on the yoke of being an adult, the law. And he becomes a, a bar mitzvah, which means the son of the commandment. It is now his responsibility to live out. So this year, age 12, is the year when Joseph, his father, would have been very, very intentional in investing in him. If he was a good dad, he would have been not just playing with him, but he would have been preparing him. He would have been explaining things to him. He would have been showing him his religious duties. What's involved in being a man? What's involved in running the family business? This is the year where he must pay attention to his dad. This is the year when Jesus, for Jesus not to be with his dad was a huge, important uh, mistake. When every moment, every word counts, it would have been the most precious year to have been focused so when they finally found him in the temple, you can understand why his mother just let rip. Why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. This year is so important. Of all the years, this is the one you should have been doing the will of your father. This is the year you should be paying attention, walking with your father, listening to your father, learning from your father. Of all the years, this is the year. What does Jesus say to them? But mom, 
I am listening to my father. Don't you know that I had to be in my father's house? Or in the footnote it says this. You could also translate it as, don't you know I'd have to be about my father's business? See, Jesus didn't make a mistake. He wasn't just distracted. He was intentionally learning from his father. You see, although Jesus returned home and obeyed his parents, there's a lesson in that, um, Mary and Joseph, there was no doubt to him who his father really was. For me, this was the most empowering knowledge that Jesus had um, received. And I really believe it's that what kept him faithful through temptation, held him up through rejection, kept him grounded through adoration, made him strong through betrayal, and led him to the cross. Do you know what it is to have good parents? To be adored as a son or a daughter, to know that you are utterly and unconditionally loved, to know that they are proud of you just for being you, to know they believe in you. This is especially more so if you look up to your parents. See, Jesus had the most perfect, the most accomplished, the most impressive father ever known. He knew he didn't have to try and prove himself. I mean, bear in mind, he hadn't done a single notable thing. Luke would have included it in the gospel if he had. Instead, his first miracle would be in another 18 years' time. 18 years until he did his first miracle. Every day, he would hear those words and know the truth of him until they were finally spoken over him for others to hear at his baptism. Every day, he would have heard these words, You are my son, whom I love, and with whom I am well pleased. See, he would have heard this father's voice saying, I've always been your Abba, your Dada. You will always be my son. Nothing will ever change that. You need to know that I love you just as you are. I'm so proud of you just being you. Every day, every moment, Jesus would have soaked in those words and in that truth. Here, my... um, Middle daughter, from a young age, she called me a uh, duda, which means milk in one of Tars' languages, which is a complete coincidence. But, uh, but you know, she couldn't say dad, dada, daddy, dad, all of those things. She just said duda. I was like, okay. Um, but, you know, if she's ever unsure of my love, if she's ever looking a bit uncertain or insecure, I will stop her and I will look her in the eyes, literally stare her in the eyes, and say, do you know you and your sisters are the only people in the entire world that get to call me dad. And if that's not enough, every single evening when I put them to bed, I say this, hey, Aria, I have a secret for you. It was really sweet when I first started, but now she just goes, ugh, I know what the secret is. (laughs) And she says it, and she goes, oh, you love me, you think I'm amazing, you think I'm beautiful, you think I'm funny, you're proud of me, I know But every night I say the same thing. I have a secret. I know a secret. I have a secret for you. And she knows what it is. It's written on her soul. It's written, embodied in her mind. She knows those very words. Jesus lived with that every single day. I don't know what it was like for you growing up, but that was not how it was for me. See, I remember being age 10, staying at my friends for a few few days and having a lovely, relaxing time. And as my uh, parents picked me up, and I sat in the car on the way home. I remember bawling my eyes out. I didn't want to go home. To the criticism, the put down, 
the fear of making a mistake and being told off about it. I didn't want to face that. I wanted to be there. See, I'd see how other people's dads were. I'm sure they weren't perfect in hindsight, but for me, they were amazing. They were kind. They played. They were interested in their sons. They were genuinely fascinated about what was going on in people's lives. Oh, how I wish I wasn't a dad like that. But I didn't. That was their dad, not mine. I couldn't have a dad like that. You see, in a similar way, sin drove you from God when you were just an infant. It stole you. It took you away. You know, his name was stolen from your lips. His memory was erased from your minds. God was no longer your dad. Instead, you desperately sought the affirmation, that well done from other people that you could never find would fill that void. You never had a chance to hear those precious words from someone who wanted nothing from you but knew everything about you. Those words, you are my child whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. But we have a heavenly father who refused to let us remain orphans. He stepped off his throne and he came for us, sending his son to rescue us and take and bring us home. It says this in Galatians 4, but when the set time had fully come, God has sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship, daughterhood. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. You see, when Jesus went to the cross, he didn't just take your position and take the punishment that you deserved. Jesus also gave you his position. He gave you his position as a son. He exchanged our relationship as a slave to sin for his relationship with the heavenly father. You see, now, because of the spirit of God, because of our believing in Jesus, because of his divine exchange on the cross, we can sit and hear that father's voice say those precious words, I've always been your Abba, your Dada. You will always be my child. Nothing will ever change that, and no one will ever take you from me again. Uh, I love you just as you are, and I'm so proud of you for just being you. You know, I can't tell you what 2019 has in store, but thanks to Jesus, I know none of it will be wasted, and you will be ready to face whatever is in store if you know that he is your father, and as you learn more about him and share the stories of him and we encourage one another with it, there is no battle that you are not equipped to take on and win.